This session is on tools of the trade. Um, and for recording purposes, the date is November 13. And my name is Jonathan Dysinger. So let's have a prayer before we get started. Definitely, Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to come together and talk about the exciting topic of farming and the tools that we need to do the job efficiently. I ask that you would bless us and help us to have a wonderful rest of the day. In your name I pray, amen. All right, so we're just going to do this. Um, I'm going to kind of highlight um, a few tools. It's impossible to do them all in an hour. Um, so we're going to get just a few of them. And if you have any questions, feel free to interject um, at you know, any time, pretty much. I'm, I'll ask if anybody has questions throughout the time. But, but if you have one, just uh, raise your hand. So efficiency on the farm is largely about having the right tools to get a job done. If you don't have the right tools to um, prepare a bed, it may take you just twice as long, three times as long. Um, so you have to have the right tools. So I've kind of broken down uh, different categories. We have bed preparation tools, seeding tools, um, weeding, and harvesting tools. So we'll start with the bed preparation. Um, the broad fork is probably... Um, well, it's very important, especially when you're getting started, um, to loosen up your soil. Uh, spading fork, sorry. Broad fork's the next one. I'm looking at the wrong slide. Um, spading fork's real important for, for loosening, up, loosening up hard, so hard soil. Um, we have used these for hours and hours, just breaking up soil that hasn't been grown on before, maybe stuff that's very hard packed. So it's very important. Now, I'm going to be... Julie, I'm going to be, like, moving around. I guess I need to hold the mic a little bit, maybe. It would have been nice to have a, a pinned-on one, but we'll just go with this. So um, I have a lot of these tools up here, and you can come and um, play around with them after the fact. But this is the um, spading fork, and you can. there's all, lots of different kinds you can get, but you want to get a really heavy-duty um, hand-forged one. Um, if you just get like a, a formed steel one, they bend. The tines bend really easily, and they just won't hold up. So a hand-forged spading fork um, is the best. And so you would just um, stomp on it and just go back and forth across your bed and, and take you know, three or four inches at a time um, and just work your way back, just pushing it in, pulling back. Um, once you have done that a few times and your soil is looser, then you can move to a broad fork, which is wider, um, and you can, you can do the whole bed in one pass. Um, but when your soil is loose, you can just push all those tines in and then pull backwards and loosen up the soil. So once you've done that, um, the next step that we do is with the three-tooth cultivator. We put our amendments on... Um, shake your compost out over the bed, and then run over it with the three-tooth cultivator, kind of integrating that, that amendments and the, the compost into the soil. Um, and the, the three-tooth is a pretty, pretty heavy-duty um, tool here, and you can even use it for kind of breaking up some clods. If you have some clods, you can kind of hit them with this and, and, and bust them up a little bit. This just kind of goes, you know, three or four inches into the top layer of the soil and mixes everything up real nicely. So, any questions so far? So our next one would be um, the 30-inch bed preparation rake. Um, this is a really great tool, especially if you're doing um, direct seeding. It's real important for your soil and your bed to be very smooth with not a lot of clumps. Um, if you're if you're transplanting, you can work around those a little bit with a with a fork or a, a, a trowel, a transplanting trowel. But if you're direct seeding um, with some cedars, we're going to talk about here in a bit. It's very important for the bed to be smooth and, and get the rocks and clumps out. So this is a very lightweight aluminum rake, 30 inches wide, that Johnny's sells. Um, we'll have we have kind of a handout here. Um, that, that talks a little bit more about these and where you can get some of them. Um, so you can see there he's just kind of bent over. I'm not sure why he's bent over so far. I never remember doing that. That um, looks a little bit awkward, but it's got a nice long handle. 
so you can reach out and just pull it along your bed and get, get it all smooth. The other cool thing about the bed preparation rake is you can take um, just some, some short pieces of like PEX tubing and put it onto the tines for kind of using for marking your, your planting spacing. So, yeah, this is kind of awkward. I need three hands. But you would just put these on, uh, say you were doing three, um, three rows of, of like lettuce plants. Push these on and then run down your bed like this and it marks um, evenly your spacing. So you go down lengthwise and then you can also go crossways to kind of create a grid for um, planting. I think I got it now. So that's really, uh, really neat kind of multiple purpose tool um, that we use a, a lot on our farm. All right, so mostly what we're going to be talking about is hand tools like this, but I can't help but mention some of the power tools, and this one's one that we've started using a lot on our farm, um, the Power Harrow. It goes behind the BCS tractor. Um, you, can also, you can also get ones to go behind a small tractor. Um, but it, it incorporate, it kind of does everything that we've just talked about all in one pass. Um, it has vertical tines that, that rotate, and, and I think they say about six inches into the soil, roughly. It goes about six inches deep and just kind of breaks up all your clots, um, mixes in, you know, you can put your compost and soil amendments down before you use this. It mixes it all in, and then it has a, a roller behind that smooths the bed out and kind of compacts a little bit and just gives you a, a perfect um, seed bed. So that's a, a really great tool, but um, they're, they're fairly expensive. And so if you're doing farming on more of a commercial scale, it's a great thing to have, but probably not something that your average home gardener would, um, would shell out the money for. What's that? How much do they cost? Um, yeah, it's a couple thousand for a new one. Yeah. Uh, and of course, that's just the attachment. The tractor itself would be more. Um, Richard Daly um, has a booth over here, and he does uh, he sells BCS equipment. And so, if if anybody's interested in this more, um, he would be the one to contact. Um, and he's he yeah he's also doing a demonstration. You know what time that is? Yeah. Um, we'd have to look at the schedule, but somewhere around two forty-five. Um, he's going to be doing a demonstration on a lot of different. Uh, BCS equipment, and, and you can get all that information from him. All right, so um, now we're going to move on to seeding, if there's no questions on the bed pre preparation. Does anybody have questions on bed preparation tools? No questions. All right, so we're going to talk about a, a few different types of seeders. So um, we'll start with the Earthway seeder. Um, it's got a lot of pros and cons, I guess. It, it works well for large seeds, um, like corn and peas and, and beets. We use beets, you know, larger seed. Um, but, it, but it doesn't work well for small seed like lettuce or anything like that. Uh, it just kind of jams up with the small seed. It's really affordable, $109 um, at Johnny's. I think you can get it cheaper than that other places as well. Um, so it's probably a good starter. Um, it, it digs a furrow, drops the seeds in, covers it over, and then the, the rear wheel kind of compacts the soil again a little bit um, and then it also has a, a row marker that you can adjust so as you're as you're seeding your first row it marks your second one so that when you go back you have a mark to follow so you have even spacing um, so it's a good tool um, for for the price but um, if you're getting into commercial farming you'd probably want to get something um, a little more advanced um, one neat thing about them is you can, you can do like this person's done and kind of daisy chain them. So this guy has four together um, for, you know, being able to plant more in one pass. So um, we still use it a f little bit on our farm, I think, don't we? For, for beans, yeah, beans, stuff that's a larger seed, it works well. Um, the not another one we'll talk about is the Haas seeder. Now, we have actually not used this, but... Um, We've heard a lot of good things about it, and, and if you look at it, it just seems like it's very well constructed. Um, 
seems to be well built, and the people that have used it seem to love it. Um, it's it's a lot cheaper than um, some of the other comparable options. This one sells for um, 169, I believe, and it's just an, an attachment. Well, this one pictured here is an attachment for their wheel hoe. They also make one that's more of a, a independent uh, machine. But for 169, you can have the Haas Cedar, which, um, f like I said, from everything I've heard, it seems to work very well for most people. Um, Yeah, the question was, is that equivalent to equivalent type to the Earthway? Um, I would say so. Dad, do you know, is this one kind of good for smaller seeds maybe? Um, the, the thing about the Earthway is it just doesn't handle the really small seeds. Um, it just jams up on them. And this one, um, I think, works much better on the small seeds. So you maybe have a broader spectrum of what you could really use it well for. The Earthways for big ones doesn't work so good for little ones. This one, I think, works pretty well on everything. Um, and, it, it, you know, you have different uh, seed discs in it in there that you have to replace for, um, for depending on what size seed you're doing. But, um, yeah, that would, that would cover most of the seeding that you would probably need to do. And the Haas also makes a great wheel hoe um, that's affordable and, and seems to work very well. The other one we'll talk about is the six-row cedar. Um, the advantage of this one is it works well for planting really intensively. Um, the earthway and the hoss, and some of you may be familiar with the jang cedar. None of those you can really plant as intensively as this one. Um, obviously, this one does six rows. It's got six little hoppers, and it's got a shaft in the bottom that has little um, seed divots that um, the seeds fall into, and as that shaft rotates, it drops them out. So it um, digs, it, it opens up the soil, drops the seeds in, and then the, the roller in the back covers them, or kind of compacts the soil as you go over. So we use this for mostly um, baby lettuce, salad greens that you're wanting to plant really intensively. This next slide, you can see a picture of, of um, the seed bed that, that the six-row cedar would leave behind um, after it's germinated. Um, it just it gives you 12 rows across the bed, um, real intensive. But that's what you want for for baby lettuce, and this I think is arugula. It looks like it's it's only about 15 inches wide. The six row, yeah. So that bed that you're seeing right there um, is 30 inches. Yeah. The question was how wide is it? Uh, so that would be a 30 inch pat. Two passes. You go down one and back up the other side. Yeah, yeah, so the question is, can you use this for greens? You're talking about, like, uh, lettuce and salad greens? or what Collards and kale. Um, well, the way we do collards and kale is we plant them in soil blocks and then just uh, transplant it. We don't plant really intensively, except we do uh, sometimes do intensive plantings of, of kale and just harvest it when it's really baby size. Um, but generally, we plant it farther apart and then just harvest the individual leaves yeah i i don't know do you think that it would the kale and collards like collard seeds would go through it well yeah so i guess it would work um the seed would go through it and so if you you know it definitely would be a more um precise seeding if you wanted to use it for something like uh kale and collards yeah, yeah, you wouldn't waste as much seed. Um, you wouldn't waste seed in your pathways like you would if you were broadcast seeding. Now, the uh, I guess the disadvantage, if you want to call it that, of this is it's very expensive. I think the price right now is $615 um, for the six-row. Um, they also make one that's a uh, four-row seeder, which is a similar concept. It's just four rows um, slightly farther apart. And that might be something that would work well. And it's much cheaper. Do you know the price on that one? I don't know. I think it's under 200 I believe. Yeah, these are all uh, available through Johnny's. Yeah. So those are the, the three cedars that um, we were going to highlight. Does anybody have other questions on cedars? The six-row cedar, you, you can't adjust the width. You can't. You can't. It's set. Um, you, you can adjust the depth 
and then you can also adjust um, the shaft that has the seed divots in it. You can slide that back and forth, and there's different size uh, divots along it. So, so that's how you would adjust, like for what size size of seeds you're using. But there is no adjustment for the distance between the the seeds. Or the distance between seeds within a row. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's right. There is too. Yeah, you can adjust the. Uh, there's there's two pulleys on the side, and that basically just adjusts the speed of the uh, of the roller, and so that adjusts the distance between your. It's one inch, two and a half, and four basically. Yeah, yeah. So one inch, two and a half, and four inches between uh, dropping a seed is what you can do with the adjustments. Yeah, exactly. Yep, and we do that with certain ones. We'll just leave, leave, you know, skip every other hopper. Yeah, so that that definitely is an option for depending on what you're using it for. Um, all right. Any other questions on cedars? No. Nope. Okay. So we'll move on to cultivating equipment. Um, this is a collinear hoe. Um, it's, it's a great hoe for, for cultivating, um, precision weeding. It's not a hoe that you go out in the garden and hack weeds with, tall weeds. This is for when they're very, very tiny. Um, and it, you use it in a kind of a sweeping stance. Um, with your, you hold it like this, uh, thumbs facing up. So you, you kind of, um, just like this, your blade is, is um, flat on the soil, and you can just uh, work your way around all your transplants like that. Um, but, but you can't, with this one, do any kind of, uh, you know, hacking like this or trying to get rocks out or, or dig a root out or anything, because this is just a very um, thin blade that, I mean, it's, don't get me wrong, it's very tough. But if you really start uh, hacking with it, you will break them. We've broken a few ourselves. Um, so it, when it's used properly, it's very effective. Um, but like I said, you'd use this only when the weeds are very small. And that's, of course, the best time to weed anyways. So that, that's the, the perfect application for this one. Yeah, loose soil. Yeah, you can't use it in, in uh, you know, really hard-packed soil for sure. All right, so the the next one here is the stirrup hoe, and these come in all different sizes and shapes, and different people make them. But um, this is kind of a, a workhorse cultivating tool for sure. Um, the the hoe kind of pivots back and forth, and this one pivots a lot more than it's supposed to, just because we've really worn this thing out. But um, it, it, it puts all your energy into actual weeding. So every time you go back and forth, the blade is, is cutting your weeds. So you just kind of go back and forth like this. Um, rather than a traditional hoe, you're putting energy into picking it up and, and hacking like this. So these, like I said, come in all different sizes. You can get narrow ones that work well for going in between lettuce heads and and then you can get wider ones that work for, you know, weeding your pathways really quickly. Um, and then also we have one over here that's um, attached to the wheel hoe, um, a 12-inch wide. This is what we use for weeding our pathways. Um, and that works really well. It's really fast. Um, you can just push down your pathways and back. Yeah, with a with a traditional hoe, um, you could get more. Uh, you know, you'd be digging and chopping and more. This just kind of uh, slices across the top of the soil, just cuts the plants right off. Um, so it does have benefits over a traditional hoe that you would just be um, chopping up and down with. All right. The other thing we're using more and more on our farm is silage tarp. Um, this is something that um, uh, we've just recently started using in the last three or four years, but it's, it's very effective for weed control. You can see here we put it down on a pad that we hadn't, I th we hadn't been growing in in a while. The weeds had kind of grown up. Maybe there's res you know, crop residue from previous crops, and we just uh, lay the silage tarp down over the, over the pad, 
and leave it there for a while. Although I think this one, which you see here, had only been down for um, maybe two weeks at the, at the most. Um, but it just, it kills the weeds, doesn't let any light through. Um, so it kills the weeds, and it also creates, you know, it doesn't let moisture out, so it creates a really moist environment for, for um, microbial growth, and, and the, the worms really get up in there and break it down. They love it in there. Um, so it works really well, and it also is, you know, it creates a warmer environment because the, the, the sun warms it up. It gets really warm under there, and then all your little seeds germinate, and then they don't have any light, so they just die out. And so after you leave that on there for a few weeks, you pull it off and run down your beds with your broad fork to loosen it up, put your amendments on and cultivate, and you've, you just have a really clean start. And it also has eliminated a lot of um, future weed pressure for killing the, you know, germinating and killing this, um, the seeds in it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, you you can yeah. What what people will do is you know if you have a, a garden plot that you're wanting to um, plant you know in the spring, um, you could go out there with your mower and just mow it down really low, get everything kind of chopped up as much as possible, and then lay some of this down and you know sandbag it or maybe put some dirt or rocks around the edges, and you leave it on there for a few months. Um, come spring, you pull that off and everything would be killed. Um, most, if not all, of that material would be really broken down and, and integrated into the soil from the earthworms, and um, you'd have a really, a really great clean start. Um, this silage tarp is actually rather difficult to find. Um, there's, there's not a lot of places that, that sell it very much, and so I've actually started um, selling it. I'm a distributor for it. Um, so if it's something you're interested in, um, I can give you my information, and uh, we can get you hooked up. Um, there's, there also is a few other places, but it, it is kind of difficult to find. You'd think it'd be more easy because a lot of people, you know, have cows and make silage. But yes, is there a designated width? not not really. Um, the question was, is there a designated width on it? You're saying just uh, the size that it comes in. Yeah, I, you know, you can you can get it in lots of different sizes. I have it in 24 foot width, um, 32, 40, and 50 foot widths, um, and you can get it in just about any length. Um, I, I stock 100 foot lengths, but but you can easily cut it. It's a six mil plastic. It's UV treated. Um, as you can see, it's white on one side and black on the other. Um, you lay it down with the white side facing the ground, black side facing up, um, and it lasts. A a really long time. Um, if you were to leave it out in the sun, in direct sun, uh, year-round, it wouldn't last more than um, max two years. But for what we do, um, we will leave it out for, for a few weeks, maybe a month, and then we pull it off and fold it up, and it goes back in our greenhouse or, or the barn where it's not in direct sunlight. And so we've been using this, a lot of the stuff that we've had for, I don't know, three over three years now, huh? Close to, close to that, and it's still holding up pretty well. So, yeah, it's definitely definitely worth the money. Um, so the other thing we will uh, talk about is flame weeders. Um, this is another great way to to weed. Um, Steve Myers is kind of the uh, the expert with flame weeders, so I should have him get up here and, and say say a little bit, but. I, um, if you, if you want a flame weeder, talk to him. But basically, you, you reduce your, your weed pressure a lot by um, creating what we call a stale seed bed. So you could get out there and prepare your, your beds um, and get them all, you know, use all these tools that we talked about, the broad fork to loosen it up, your cultivator to, to work in your, your amendments and your compost, and then rake it smooth if you're going to be direct seeding into it. Um, and then water, even wet the soil a little bit and, and get the weeds to germinate a little bit. So you, you germinate the weeds for a couple of days and then as you see them just real small coming up, you go out there with your flame weeder and, and just burn the, the tops off of them. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily burn the weed all the way up completely, but it just it ruptures the, the cells and the leaves and then it, and they just shrivel up and die. Um, 
and you, you can do that um, a couple times even. Then uh, keep watering it. More weeds will germinate. And then if you, if you do that a couple times um, and leave it for, for a week or two, um, then at that point you could go and, and seed directly into it. And you've eliminated, uh, I don't know percentage, but a, hu- a huge percent of your, your weed pressure um, before you ever planted. And then um, you can also uh, plant, I think mostly what people do this with is like carrots and, and beets even. You could direct seed into that and then they have a longer germination period. And so you can even go over them with the flame weeder one more time right before the um, the beets or carrots start coming out of the soil. So it'd be another few days and you might get more weeds germinating. And then right before your your carrots um, kind of protrude out of the soil, you can run over it one more time and, and kill those little weeds. And you have just eliminated a, a huge amount of the, the weed pressure that way. So I think that covers, um, it covers all the the weeding uh, tools that I had on here. Does anybody have um, questions on this? Yeah. You can get them from from Steve Myers. Um, there there are other options as far as like a single torch um, flame weeder, and I have seen other people kind of experimenting. I know. Um, Drangen, Drangen, or however you say it, was was Drangen. They were they were making they were tr- experimenting with making one similar to this, wider. Um, but but the one I saw was a, a prototype, and it was uh, it didn't work very well at all. Um, so as far as I know, the the only good option for for wider flame weeders that would do a whole pass would be um, Mr. Myers FlameWeeders.com, I think is the website, and. Uh, Yeah, yeah. So uh, at his booth, he has techniques, and I'm sure it could give you pricing. And and um, I'm sure he'd be. I'd love to sell you one. So. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. So he's making the point that uh, for for your average gardener, probably a, a large thirty inch one is just an overkill. Um, they're more expensive, and and the single torch you could get the job done pretty quickly for a small garden. Uh, I think we had one more question. Did we have? No. Any other questions on uh, flame weeders, silage tarp, cultivating tools? Alrighty. So we're going to talk about some harvesting tools. Um, there's not a lot of really cool tools for harvesting. It's kind of one of the more, um, I guess you could say, just blah aspects of farming. You know, you just kind of use a knife and go out there and harvest your stuff. But one that um, I'm going to put a little plug in for is the Quick Cut Greens Harvester. Um, and I'm, I'm a little biased because I make the machine, but it works really well for harvesting uh, baby lettuce, um, spinach, uh, mustard greens, any kind of salad greens that you're growing intensively. Like we saw that picture of that the six-row cedar does. It works great and, you know, kind of hand-in-hand with the six-row cedar. And um, this is, yeah, if you're doing, if you're doing baby lettuce, um, salad greens on any kind of a, commercial scale um, it would be definitely worth your while saves you a ton of time harvesting with a knife you can harvest about um, pretty easily like 200 pounds of greens an hour with it Um, some denser crops like um, watercress I've harvested up to like 350 pounds of greens an hour with it Um, so that is yeah I could show a video um What's that? Yeah, that's Elliot. Let me uh, let me show you guys a video here. Why are why are we seeing something totally different here than I'm seeing on my computer? Okay. 
So we'll go over here. This is really a interesting. <laughs> this is my girlfriend. <laughs> That's a good question. She's a farm girl. Okay, we're going to go in here to... really the thing that makes small farm mescaline all of a sudden a paying proposition for small farmers. It really revolutionized our growing. Growing up on a farm, I spent hours on my hands and knees harvesting salad greens with a knife, so I was very aware of the need for a mechanical greens harvester. So my inventive mind spent a lot of time thinking about ways to improve greens harvesting. But it wasn't until at age 16, in the fall of 2009, my father and I had the opportunity to go visit Elliot Coleman's farm, and he brought up the greens harvester and really encouraged me to take it and run with it and try and develop a greens harvester that would help to alleviate labor with greens production on small farms. I came back from Elliott's farm energized about developing a greens harvester, and we started making prototypes using modified hedge trimmers and quickly had, had prototypes that were working and we were using on our farm, but they were very rough. But it wasn't until a couple years later, with the help of an engineer friend, that we came up with a design that worked better than I could have imagined. And in the fall of 2012, we started production and they went on the market. Up until now, there's been no mechanical harvester in between scissors and knife and $10,000 units. When we got it, it was a major breakthrough because it used to take us three people two hours to do the harvest of our salad uh, greens in the morning. And when we got the harvester, it just, I would do the same job in 40 minutes. It was a 200% improvement on the labor time. It's the kind of appropriate technology that we need for small-scale micro-farming. Anybody who's ever cut mescaline by hand is going to love this gadget. Look at the ease with which it goes. And not only that, when you have a taller crop like this, which we all end up with at some point, you can cut it at any height you want, even though you're mechanized the whole time and you're doing it. One person with this can replace three or four hand cutters very, very easily. It will give a cleaner cut than a knife or scissors. It's just an incredible tool in the tool chest of a small farmer. It truly has put baby greens back in the list of profitable crops for a small farm. It's going to put us back in the baby leaf salad business. Okay. So just a little plug for... The greens harvester. Now I gotta figure out how to get back to my slideshow. Yeah, it does work very gently. And and another thing that that we're working on, if anybody's interested in harvesting microgreens, um, we we're developing a. Well, it's already finished. It's just a matter of um, getting getting it more in production, but we have a little mounting system that you can clamp onto a table like this, and the, the harvester clamps to it, and it has adjustable height so you can slide trays underneath it. So for people who are growing microgreens in like 10, 20 trays, or uh, like the guys doing wheatgrass, um, you can just set them on the table, or you can even mount it to like a little conveyor or a roller conveyor and, and slide your trays through and harvest them. It works really well. I have a farm in um, Pennsylvania that's been using it for, um, well, since the beginning of this year. And uh, they say that they can harvest a tray of microgreens in three seconds. So um, that's, you know, saves quite a bit of time if you're doing, like they're doing, 400 trays a week. Um, so, yeah, it's a pretty, pretty neat little gadget that can be used for field harvesting and um, indoor harvesting of microgreens and stuff like that. Any questions? So the... The only other thing I had for for harvesting is just uh, basic knives. Um, yeah, we use Victorinox. They're they're a Swiss made 
knife, um, very, very well made. Um, you can get them through Johnny's, although Johnny's um, charges a lot for them. And there's other places. We had found at one, what was the other place that we found for? Um, yeah. Yeah, if you, if you look online, you can probably find them a lot cheaper than what Johnny's is selling them for. Yeah, three or four dollars a piece. This one over here is what we use a lot for um, smaller items like picking uh, okra even, although I think now we've mostly just gone to the technique of just snapping the okra off, but a lot of little items you can use that for. Um, the larger knife here works great for um, cutting head lettuce and cabbages and stuff because uh, it's sharpened all the way around the tip, and so you can just um, push it underneath the head of lettuce um, straight straight in and it just slices it right off. Um, cabbage does the same. Um, yeah. Victorinox. Um, yeah. I don't know how you spell it, but uh, you'd be able to... F yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's a, a good brand of knives um, that, that we use a lot on our farm. Any other questions? Yeah. Yeah, um, the 30-inch rake. He's uh, wondering if there's a less expensive source than Johnny's. Um, I have not researched into that. Uh, it's something that's been on my, uh, I guess you could say, list of things to do because um, it is fairly expensive. And and I think, Dad, weren't you mentioning to me that you'd f known of some other company that had something that was similar? Yeah, yeah. We haven't figured out if it'll work yet, like with the tubes, but A.M. Leonard's is a good name to keep in mind for tools. They, they, they have a nice big catalog, and they have nice quality tools, but they have a 30-inch a wide aluminum rake, but the, the tines are flat rather than round. But it's significantly, I, I don't remember what this is. Is it like $60 or something like that? This is an Austrian hay rake is what it is. It's, it comes from Austria. Um, Leonard's sells something, you know, pretty significantly different maybe. I mean, it's cheaper, like 35 maybe or 40 um, But we we haven't experimented with it yet. Yeah. Well, uh, so the the comment was uh, U.S.-made tools are not as sturdy as uh, tools made in other countries. Uh, the reality is a lot of these tools that, that I've talked about here are not American-made. Um, all the um, the collinear hoe and the stirrup hoe and the three-tine cultivator um, and the the wheel hoe. What did you say? The wire wheel. A wire weeder, which I didn't mention. Um, we'll go back to this because it was one that I was going to mention. Um, these are all made by Glacier Engineering in Switzerland, um, and they are very high-quality tools. And um, so, yeah, I, I would say I would agree. You know, a lot of um, a lot of the tools that that we use and recommend for um, for farmers are are not American-made, and and yeah, there's um, there's a lot of people making money off of, you know, Johnny's is importing them. Um, Peaceful Valley, I believe, sells glacier tools. Um, Do you see that as a potential? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and that's what I'm doing. Uh, you know, making you know, the greens harvester. I mean, I've sold them all over the world, but um, by far the majority has been um, U.S. Um, Canada, I've, I've sold a lot too, but but definitely there is a huge market for. Uh, I mean, I shouldn't say huge market because it's not huge. You're not going to make millions with it. Um, but there is a, a growing market for uh, small farm tools in the U.S. There's a lot more people getting into farming. Um, yes? With the durability of all these tools, how often do you replace them? Okay, with the durability of the tools, how often do we replace them? Um, <sighs> that wheel hoe we've probably had for... Um, 20 years. Um, there are certain parts you have to replace on it. Um, 
for instance, it's got some little aluminum um, aluminum mounting brackets for your uh, your stirrup hoe. I'm pretty sure we've replaced those because they kind of wear out after a while. Um, you do have to replace the blades, you know, not very regularly. It'll be years before you wear through a blade, and we use it just about, you know, every every week for sure. Almost every day we'll use them. Um, but after a while, that that blade will start getting thinner and thinner, and we have even broken them, but, but they're very, very durable. Um, the... Let's see some of the other ones. Um, the six-row cedar, uh, we, I don't think we've ever had to do any maintenance or, or repairs on it. Um, that one is, is made in the U.S., actually. That one's made in Maine. So, but it's, it's fairly well, well built. Um, they're actually, as far as my understanding, um, redesigning that as we speak, trying to fix a few. They kind of got into a situation where... Um, they had paid for some really expensive injection molds for the plastic hoppers, and they wanted to change the design, but they, they couldn't because they had so much money invested in these molds. So, uh, but anyways, they are trying to improve that. Um, the, the stirrup hose, I would say, do kind of have a life because you have moving parts and they, they do wear out, but, um, you know, it's... Uh, I, w- I mean, if if I were going to say, I guess I would say this one's just about worn out because when you pull it back, the blade just goes to a kind of more of a, like a much steeper angle than you would really want. Um, but even, you know, you could you could probably get in there and fix it by welding, um, you know, extending down the little tabs and, and giving it a little more um, height on those. But this one's definitely getting to the point where it's it's fairly worn out, but we've had it for years. So they're definitely durable tools. Any other questions? Yeah. I, I just make a, a couple comments on, you know, the, the main thing is you've got to know how to use them. Like with that collinear hoe, you know, the thin blade. I've never broken a blade in 20 years, but people break blades on the farm every year. Um, It's not me because I know how to use it and I try to tell them how to use it, but you know, sometimes they have to learn through, through experience. Um, But it's a matter of taking care of them. And when you buy high quality tools, you know, these are English hand forged forks. This is my my keepsake this is you know over 20 years old now one the other thing I wanted to say is when you have wooden tools wooden handles which I love it's just you know it feels better to to work with a wooden tool you've got to oil the handles regularly and you don't leave them out in the sun and the rain you you know you have to bring them in um the, these definitely need to be oiled. That's kind of a winter chore we do. But if you keep them them well oiled with a linseed oil, I mean, it, you can pass them on to your grandchildren. You know, we I've never bent the tines on this. Now, if I, if there was a huge rock in the soil I was trying to pry out, I probably could bend the tines on this. But you just have to know the limits of your tools and use them appropriately. Thank you for that. Um, the other one I was going to mention is the wire weeder. Um, this one has kind of a unique um, hoop design here and allows you to get in around plants that you you can't get as close with um, like the stirrup hoe because it has the uh, side constraints on it. But this one you can kind of stick that little wire like underneath the base of your, your plants, like underneath the leaves and get around a lot closer, similar to what you can do with the collinear hose. So I feel like we don't really use this um, a lot, but it's it's another one you can have. Is this cheap? Do you know if this is cheaper than the collinear hoe? Yeah, so, you know, you can tell by looking at this that we don't use it very much. It still looks pretty new. Um, but it's it's another one, and it also probably the the handheld one I would see would be more useful than the stand up one if you're doing more really uh, 
like on your knees stuff around plants. This one could be convenient. This this one you can tell we've used a lot more um, for for the detail work around plants. Um, you, that's a good question. You you can, and it's kind of recommended that you would sharpen them at some point, um, especially maybe like the the collinear hoe. Um, those, you know, the sharper it is, the better it's going to cut. So a lot of people do. I don't know that we really ever have, um, but but some people do. It's just, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The more you sharpen it, the faster it'll wear out. Now, um, and, and it seems like um, just the the action of really slicing through the dirt and, and hitting rocks every now and then just kind of keeps them keeps a nice. Um, kind of sharpens the edge, I guess, it seems like. Um, but if you were to get, like, a big nick or something in it, that you might want to take a, a file and kind of sharpen that out a little bit. Um, but but generally, no, we don't really sharpen any of these tools um, other than the greens harvester, that one. Yeah, yeah. So uh, what he was mentioning was that the, the wire weeder works well for drip tape. Um, if you're using that in your beds, you can just get it underneath the drip tape and, and, and move it along rather than having to move it all. Um, you can get underneath that drip tape and, and it's not sharp. Yeah, so, so this one does, does come in handy when you're working around drip tape. Um, so other than that, we have any other questions? I guess I could have put more slides in. I was thinking we were going to run out of time a lot faster than that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so questions about safety equipment, uh, how, to, how to stay safe. Um, I, I never work with gloves. <laughs> I just, I can't work with gloves. Um, I'm trying to think. Some, some, well, you know, if I'm like using a chainsaw or something, I will use gloves sometimes. Um, I guess really none of these tools are particularly dangerous. Yeah, the, the greens harvester is, you know, you have a moving blade that's sharp. That one, you know, out of all the ones you've mentioned, that one would be the most dangerous. Um, I don't think we've ever personally had anybody really get hurt with it on our farm. You know, you get a slice here and there if you're not careful. Um, so, you know, I, I've personally, and my dad's the same way, we always wear long pants when we're working. And it's more just, I guess... You know, I don't like dirty, you know, sweaty legs. It's just kind of, I don't like that. So I always wear long pants. Um, and I think that's probably a good, you know, it keeps your legs a little more protected. But um, I, I can't really think of a lot of safety. Yeah, we've had, um, you know, we, we had one uh, one apprentice this summer that uh, stabbed herself in the, in the in the calf with a pair of uh, pruning shears um, and had to get a few stitches. But, um, you know, farming's, I think it's considered the second most dangerous occupation. Of course, that's more tractor farming and, and the commercial farming. I think small-scale small farming, when you're working with a lot of hand tools, is definitely a lot less dangerous. But there definitely doesn't, you know, a season doesn't go by without somebody uh, getting hurt or, you know, stepping on a rebar steak and yeah 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 so the question was you know government getting involved you know that may cause problems with um kids helping and and different um controls that they put on it um it's definitely happening and i i get more and more calls from customers who are um, using my harvester and um wondering, you know, what kind of material the brush is made out of. They're they're researching into sanitizing solutions for doing, you know, so there's definitely going to be more and more um, requirements that that are put on you like that, you know, sanitizing equipment and all. But um, I I was talking to one uh, consultant recently who that's what she does is helps helps farms that are getting audited and she helps them get prepared for that. And, And she did say to me that the the requirements for farm, um, like on-farm food handling, is completely different than like uh, facility, you know, food packings, facilities, and all that kind of stuff. So it's 
it's not as uh, as strict and regimented, but I but I think there there will be more um, enforcement as the government obviously gets more and more involved. Um, but at this point, we haven't we haven't had any. I haven't heard of anybody having major problems with that. So, um, yeah, we had another question for harvesting. Um, quick cut greens harvester. Yeah, and you can find it online. You can find my websites, farmersfriendllc.com. That's the name of my business is Farmers Friend. Um, I have one demonstration unit over there at the booth area. Um, yeah. Any other questions while we wrap up? Okay. Yeah, one thing that I didn't m- mention, and this would be in the uh, seeding and planting category, would be... Um, the transplanting trowel. We do, we grow all our plants in, well, all the plants that we are transplanting, we grow in soil blocks. Um, and then after they've, after they've matured and they're going out in the field, we use this. This is also made by Glacier, isn't it? Yeah, uh, it's a Glacier transplanting trowel. Um, it's got a good orientation, pretty ergonomic. And you can just bend over, put this in the ground, pull back and drop your, transplant right into a hole and then cover it back over. So this is definitely, and these are uh, $20, $25 fairly. Uh, I mean, they're, they're kind of expensive for what it does, but it's, uh, it's very well built. Um, we've ruined a few by leaving them out and then running them over with the, the spader or something and the tractor. But other than that, they pretty much last a lifetime. Um, yeah, so I guess we'll just we'll just wrap it up. Thanks for coming out. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.